We are going to be in Galatians 4 today. And like you said earlier, be praying for those who are sick. We have a ton of people out sick, not like Omicron sick, but just cold sick, people at home. I think we've having a woman that's uh, in labor right now, right? And then a lot of people traveling. So there's a lot to be praying for for our church as we move through the season. Um, but I'm excited to start Advent off with you today. And I don't expect everybody in the room to even know what Advent is, right? If you, if you don't know what Advent means, you're in the majority, you're not really in the minority. I didn't really grow up celebrating anything like Advent until we moved here. I had planted a church. I think that first Christmas season is when we first started this thing called Advent. In fact, typically when people hear the word Advent or they're even used to hearing the word Advent, they immediately think of Christmas season. It's just synonymous. It's the, it's the Christian word for Christmas season. I was talking to Tara, my oldest daughter. She's about to go to college and we were talking about Advent. I said, what is the first thing that comes into your mind whenever I say the word Advent? Like just inkblot test. Don't even think about it. What is it? She goes, chocolate, chocolate. It's the first thing that comes to my mind because she's used to the Trader Joe's um, Advent calendars and digging a little piece of chocolate out of every single day. Now, when I asked her, I said, okay, but what does it mean? What does Advent mean? She nailed it. She, she did such a good job of telling me what it meant. Advent season has a lot of potential to change us. And I've got a big hope in the next three or four weeks as we move through Advent. But in all honesty, it's the same hope I always have. And that is to do a good job of being clear and compelling and how Christ is the answer for all of our big questions. All the big questions that we carry around that Jesus is the sole answer. And Advent does a very good job of this. Advent is just a word that means coming or arrival. Some say approaching, but I think arrival and coming are the better renditions of that word and we celebrate it for about three or four weeks depending on the year at the end of every year. We just feel like it's important for us as a people to pause whatever we're going through as a church with the idea that God is coming to us, that God is arriving. He has already arrived in the form of a baby through a manger, through a virgin mom. He's done this so that he would bring us peace. But he will arrive again. It will come on the back of a white horse with a sword out of his mouth. He will arrive again, not just to bring us peace, but to bring us home. And Advent celebrates both arrivals. Not just one, but both. And if you're a Christian, one of the easiest ways to consider Advent is um, a moment where we are brought into realignment. It's something that realigns us. Whenever you hit a pothole in your car, right, and if you've driven longer than 15 minutes, especially in East Tennessee, you've popped a pothole really good, and it does what? It has the potential to knock your car out of alignment, and then you'd have to take it to the shop and have it brought back into alignment, realigned so that it what? Drives straight. Unless you did what I did in college, I would go back and hit the same pothole with the other tire to see if I could manually do it and save the money on going to the shop. Don't ever do that. It doesn't work. But when our life also hits potholes, also hits bumps, we need a realignment of sorts so that we too can move forward correctly. And Advent does a really good job of bumping us back into alignment. And it comes in a really busy time of year, I find, which I find it to be most effective for. I'm glad we celebrate it here and instead of April, instead of another time of the year. It does this because it refreshes something in you and me that leaks and evaporates over time, and that is a deep sense of longing. We lose anticipation, we leak anticipation sense of 
something that is big that is going to happen for us. I mean, anticipation of a very important person coming. When, whenever this happens, someone's advent comes, it's important, it reframes and kind of, re, I guess, redoes how we think, how we speak, what we do. I want you to think just for a moment, just as an example, if you knew that you knew that you knew tonight, it was promised that a limo would pull in front of your house and out pops Peyton Manning and out of the other side pops Dolly Parton, right, which that, they're our homecoming king and queen here in East Tennessee. Or you could put anyone you want in the limo, any celebrity or athlete you want. They come out. If you knew that was going to happen, it would change your afternoon, wouldn't it? I mean, you would go home and you'd tell your little robots to sweep the floor for you. You would wipe everything down. You'd light candles everywhere. That's the stuff that we do. We would do this. It would change the way that we handled ourselves because we would be anticipating something coming near, an arrival. And this is what Advent does. It reminds us of the deep longing that we have in God coming near to us. He has come. He is coming. And when he comes, he's going to bring things to us. He's bringing things in tow. This is one of my favorite passages, and it's in Revelation. Um, You don't have to turn there. If you don't have a Bible, we'll put it up on the screen. If you need a Bible, we give them out at the front table. Otherwise, I'm going to be at the very end of the Bible. Stay stay where you're at in Galatians 4, though. That's going to be the most important place for you. But in Revelation 21, verse 4, we have this beautiful picture of what Jesus will bring at his second advent. And he says this, he will wipe away, this is what John says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is huge. Every tear, every tear, not, not tears from joy, not tears of happiness or a sentimental thought that was warm to you, but tears of pain, tears of brokenness, of isolation, of depression, deep tears that you've invested into this broken world, he is going to come along one day at the second advent and wipe them away because he understands. He's going to do so caringly. He's also going to take the thing that haunts us all in death, a thing that is waiting for every single one of us, and he's going to put death to death. He's going to end sadness. He's going to end pain. Everything that you and I grind through on a daily basis is going to pass away. This is what awaits us. We have this to long for, to anticipate, to lean forward, expecting, hoping for. But because life is life, and we don't feel like it's happening anytime imminently soon, right? We get distracted, or numb, or busy, or sleepy, or whatever you want to say. We can just get distracted. So what Jesus does in Matthew 25, and I'm going to just walk you through in two sentences what he does with the whole chunk of the chapter, he teaches his disciples to be ready at all times. How no one knows the time that he is coming back, his second advent. No one knows the hour or the day. And as he's talking to them about how they need to wait, the posture that they need to carry through their life, he gives them a parable. And I know we just finished walking through uh, about half a dozen parables, and we're not going to go into this one in detail. We don't have the time for it. But it is a beautiful parable of 10 virgins who are waiting for a bridegroom to come, right? Punchline, half of them are found waiting, anticipating, longing the return of the bridegroom. The other five, this is what it says in the fifth verse. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. And that's in there for us. That's in there for us 
when we lose longing, we can get heavily distracted. We can medicate ourselves. We can get sleepy. We can get busy. We could hunt for escapes. Advent is a reminder that we are basically straddling a timeline of two arrivals. Jesus has come. Jesus will come again. And both celebrate God's kindness to us as one who is a promise maker and a God who is a promise keeper. We, we get to straddle history. Where we live today in 2021, we are sitting in between the inauguration of a kingdom and the consummation of a kingdom. It's a really cool place in history to be, to be honest with you. I mean, I grew up with the month of December being all about just the birth of Jesus, Jesus coming. That's where it would stop, hard stop after that. Jesus in a manger. And, and it's no doubt that we grow up thinking of Advent in that way because... I don't know, manger scenes in the front yard, they outnumber the second coming yard scenes by about a million to one because no one's ever even seen, you know, a diorama in a yard of Jesus coming again. I never grew up seeing Christmas season as one moment to celebrate a triumphant return, so it makes sense. But this time is about both. In fact, think about it, Christmas makes no sense without a second arrival. Doesn't make sense. I mean, if Jesus comes through a virgin in a manger at some point in time in history and there is no second advent, there is no second coming, it, it, it loses context. And flip it, and vice versa is the truth as well. They're tied together. Both arrivals happen, and this is the beautiful point that I'd like to hit in Galatians today. Both arrivals happen in perfect timing. Not a minute too soon, not a minute too late perfect in its timing. Paul says, basically in Galatians, that time was pregnant and was due, and in the fullness of time, it happened. Galatians 4, verses 4 through 5. Paul tells this young church, but when the fullness of time had come, that's a cool phrase. We don't use it as much anymore. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. This is a picture of the gospel. This is a gospel statement right here. And what it shows us is not only is the gospel good, the gospel's timely. It's timely. When it, come, when it came to us as mankind, it came in the fullness of time. When it comes to a believer's heart, it comes in the perfect moment. When I became a Christian in 1996 as a college student, that was the fullness of time for God to do something radical in my heart, for the Holy Spirit to take a heart of stone that could not feel and replace it with a heart of flesh that could only feel the weight of what I had done against God and the weight of what he did as an answer. There's a fullness of time. God enters the scene as full man and full God in the fullness of time, and he will bring a full return. And that's what we're going to do over the next three weeks after this week. We're going to talk about those. The fullness of time, the fullness of man that Jesus was, the fullness of God that Jesus was, and the fullness of his return. And we know one thing about when God's time becomes full. It's not going to look a whole lot different Right? Then to us, it's going to be like a normal day to us when it happens again. More of the same. We're not going to see it coming. Just like the parable, it's going to be easy to lose this longing, this anticipation, because it doesn't feel imminently soon. It feels like it's way down the road, and we're just doing usual things. Right? Shepherds back then probably experienced the same thing. Before the angels showed up and made it a very unusual day, they were probably just making coffee. Right? They're... they're 
the radio was talking about the playoff committee, deliberating who the top four teams would be. They were trading Bitcoin. They were, you know, wiping snuff off the kids' faces. Everything was just usual. It will be the same again. I sense it's going to be the exact same way again when the second advent comes, when all is normal and usual. And in that moment, it's easy to lose the longing and anticipation for it because it leaks over time. And the leaking anticipation will increasingly treat this world as home and the next world as just a doctrine, just an idea, a piece of systematic theology. I mean, when you got up this morning, think about it. Did you consider that this might be your last Sunday ever? Not because you got in a car accident, right? Maybe just because Jesus comes back. Maybe because he comes on the back of a white horse as our captain, our hero, and he leads us all home. Maybe, right? We don't think of it that way, though, right? We don't think that tomorrow we might not have tears, that tomorrow we might not have pain. We never think that tomorrow the whole cosmos would be beautified because it was fixed at its core. We don't really think on that level. Now, most of us in this room theologically believe that this is not our home, that we're pilgrims. We spent a whole year talking about this, how we're pilgrims, we're sojourners, we're traveling through, we're aliens in a strange country. This is our layover place. We believe this, and the Bible is very clear, and that's mostly why we believe it, right? Yet we do not long for a new land because we live in usual days doing usual things as usual. That's what it feels like. And as I looked over this year, putting Advent together. We try to do Advent in a fresh way every year. It's a little hard. It's harder than you think to do that, right? I mean, it's, it's basically the same story that we are giving you over and over again with a different color wrapping on it. But as I thought about 2021, it kind of feels like to me that the last 21 months have been a long Advent of sorts. We've all been waiting, waiting, longing, anticipating, not really for a rescuing king, but just for normal to come back. All of us deeply longing for normal, for usual, for usual times, a usual life before a virus, before a hot election, before a nation that's just eating each other, but before a frightening economy. Many of us have been longing and anticipating just 2018 to come back. We want 2018 to save us from where we're at right now. Our long advent has, however, the last 21 months, carried the potential to ignite a deeper longing in us than just for old days to come back. I mean, consider in the last 21 months politically how we've been reminded that to some degree, to some degree, we are all politically homeless. I mean, you, you probably gravitate more towards one pole than the other, depending on the issue. You might be more blue than red or more red than blue. But one thing we can all agree on is that we are all frustrated that not one person can fix all of our political problems, our governing issues. And that's because we all long for a glorious authority. We all long for it. It's in you to be frustrated. It's cooked into your DNA to long for a perfect authority, a good captain, a good general, a good president to rule. Last 21 months, relationally, we've been in an advent, reminded that it hurts to be alone. It hurts to be isolated. And listen, I know we're not all quarantined anymore. Even when we're back around people, I think we all know how you can be in a packed room and still feel alone, still feel isolated, unknown. And there's great opportunity 
this great opportunity here because we long to know and be accepted as we are. It has the opportunity to lead us there, to lead us to a place of understanding what our deepest longing is. Or economics, we're reminded that the thorns and thistles of this world are always gonna push us towards a place of lack. We felt it sharply in the last 21 months that you're always gonna be fighting against the gravitational pull towards lack. Even if you have enough, even if you have plenty, communally you don't. As Jesus said, the poor will always be among us. We have communally felt this lack. 21 months should have shown us that usual and normal cannot be our savior. 2018 makes a very poor Jesus for all of the things that we most deeply long for. And what do we do? Well, I'm, I'm tempted to do the same thing you're tempted to do, and that's just to escape, to get distracted, to binge on Tiger King, work hard for the American dream, to scroll, get a better phone, scroll faster, to work, to do whatever it takes to just numb yourself to the struggle that's around you. Advent, man, it feels light years away. We long, we long and anticipate for heaven to come to earth, but we're tired of waiting. And it doesn't feel like it's going to happen anytime soon. And then, listen, it's okay. It's normal to want heaven to invade earth. It's in us, as Solomon said in the third chapter of Ecclesiastes. When we went through this book, we looked at this in detail, where eternity is put into the heart of man. So if you're hoping for a better 2022, and I assume you are, if you're hoping for that, you're not alone. Because nobody has made it through the last 21 months without some dents and some dings, and some scratches. This is why Paul tells the Roman church in Romans 8, 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. You are a part of creation. We're part of God's creation. And we've just been groaning for something better, aching for something far better. But this is my question for you in the first week of Advent. What has your chief distraction been away from the pain and the boredom of the last 21 months? What is the chief distraction? What stands out? Whenever I say something like, what do you long for? What is the real answer, the raw answer? See, I love the phrase fullness of time because it reminds me that God intrudes into usual days to do unusual things. It reminds me that he is the one that pushes the narrative, even though we think we do, he is the one that pushes the narrative of his beautiful story. But why does fullness, why does God's fullness of time look the way it does? It, it frustrates us sometimes, right? I mean, I watch movies like you do, usually around this time of year. Some Christmas story will portray the nativity to some degree, and it's usually the same. Mary's on, the, uh, on a donkey, and she's in labor pains, right? And Joseph's banging on doors. He's looking for a place, and everyone's being rude to him. That's usually the story. And listen, I know how the story goes, right? I know the end of the story. But still, i got to be honest, there's a piece of me as a responsible father that thinks in my head, this would have been easier had you left a day earlier. <laughs> you just left one day earlier, labor pain, sure, but not on the back of a donkey. You wouldn't be so stressed out, right? 
Why does it look the way that it does? I sense that we're going to have a little bit of the same confusion, the same usual normal waiting whenever the second advent happens. It's not going to happen like we think. It's not going to happen when we think. But it will happen in a flash, and it'll happen when we're going about life. It's going to catch us unaware. It's going to catch us doing other things. But will it catch us distracted? Will it catch us bored? Or will it catch us leaning forward? Leaning forward, waiting, hoping, praying, longing. Not just losing that anticipation, but feeding it. Not just losing that longing, but stoking the fire in us. What should waiting look like for us as we are on this timeline between two advents? Second Corinthians, Paul speaking to a different church now in chapter 5, and he says this in the second verse, for in this tent, and he means our body, our physical frame, for in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be Swallowed up by life. That's going to be the key passage as we move through this, swallowed up by life. Because what you have is nothing compared to what is coming. Everything you have will be swallowed up by life. I mean, Paul, now, now Paul will tell just several verses earlier than this that, that all of your pain and all of your suffering is not even worth comparing the glory that will come in the kingdom of God when Christ comes as our, as our centerpiece of affection. Here's what that means. He's not saying, hey, it's a pretty big difference if you compare your sufferings to the glory that's coming. They're pretty different. He's not saying that. He's saying it's not even worth comparing. It doesn't even make sense. There's not a ruler big enough to measure the difference. It's not worth comparing. Everything that you celebrate, your highs and your lows, will be swallowed up by life. Swallowed up. That's crazy, right? But the truth is, if we're not longing to put off this tent of skin, our physical frame, and dress ourselves in the heavenly, if we're not wanting, longing, this is because we are not ready to leave. We're not ruined of this place yet. It's home. We have an address. We dropped an anchor. You cannot be excited about Jesus' arrival if you're not ruined of this place. Right? And we, like the five virgins, found sleeping and slumbering, will easily escape and distract ourselves, just like the watching world does. Right? You know, I watch these, commercial, these holiday commercials. We have a streaming service like everyone alive now, but we have not sprung for the upgrade to get rid of the commercials. So every you know few minutes, I get a, a little 60-second commercial because it's just worth it to me. And when we are watching, I've noticed how all the commercials are turning more holiday-ish, right? And the Christmas ones are, are particularly fascinating to me because everyone's in pajamas and they're dancing around, perfect choreography. And if you've noticed, listen, see if I'm wrong, there's always jingling bells in the background, right? Every single commercial has jingling bells in the background. And I was watching one, and I can't even remember what they were celebrating or trying to sell me. They were trying to sell me something, and it was such a bad commercial, I don't even remember what it was. But I do remember that they were singing, all of them smiling, in their pajamas, dancing around, and singing about the same things. Love, peace, hope, and joy. Over and over and over again. That was the whole commercial. 
Those are the characteristics of Jesus, right? That's why, we've, that's why those words are in December. That's not why they were singing it, though. Not at all. Those are feelings to be felt. Those are feelings that we long to feel in this month. We look for these feelings. Christmas has been this odd time over history where we have suspended financial reality and we splurge and charge money for gift cards to give somebody else and they're charging gift cards to give to us, right? Everyone's going into debt to give each other gift cards. It's this odd time where we change the color scheme in our living room and we tell Alexa to change the music selection. This odd time where we clap and we're excited when Starbucks changes their cup, right? It, it is an interesting time. It is a different time and I love it. I love it I, because I'm a sentimental guy and there is something warm and fuzzy about this season, right? There's something interesting. It triggers something in all of us. I've got no problem with feeling warm and fuzzy and happy and joyful. Got no problem with the colors red and green. Got no problem with pajamas, although if you're a dude and you wear them around the house, I don't trust you anymore, right? (laughs) But I've got no problem with Christmas season. No problem. But for you and me, the church, what are we really celebrating? The fact that all that is mortal is being swallowed up by life. Everything. And in the fullness of time. In the fullness of time it will happen. When time is pregnant and ready, God will fulfill the rest of his promises and he will consummate his kingdom. Mortality being swallowed by life. It reminds us that our pains are temporary. It reminds us that Jesus was swallowed by the earth swallowed by death itself, that we would be swallowed by life. It reminds us of the gospel truth that carries us through this world that is broken at its very core. It reminds us, and we need this reminder because some of us, even this month, even in the holiday season, are going through unbearable situations. Unbearable situations. You're living in a nightmare. Let Advent pastor you. Let Advent lead and counsel you to this place of hope where everything that you're swimming in right now will be swallowed up by life. It's fascinating to me, that phrase, swallowed up by life. Just by anticipating God undoing everything that is broken, that itself is a form of worship. Longing for God to come back is a form of worship. It's not just a feeling, it's worship because it's a sense of trusting. It's the ability to live in a nightmare while trusting that God's promises will come true for you in perfect timing in the fullness of time. It doesn't take the pain away by any means, but it does remind us that today doesn't have the last word. Tomorrow does. Advent, the second advent of Jesus holds the last word for you and your pain and your nightmare. Because listen, I have nightmares. I I never had a nightmare that was real bad. Never had sleep problems until we started making babies. I used to sleep like a baby. Then we started making babies and all of that went away, right? And I haven't had a solid five nights I could probably put together. So sometimes I'll wake up with a vicious nightmare or a night terror. And there is this moment where you realize that it's not real. You've all been there. And you just kind of like, whew, man, that's not even real. I could go back to sleep and hopefully I don't go back to the same dream. Don't we all think that? I hope I don't end up in the same dream. But we're excited that it's not reality. But sometimes I wake up into a nightmare. Have you ever felt that way? Where you wake up and what was haunting you yesterday is still there? You were hoping it was a bad dream and it's not? We've all done it. 
When this is your reality, it's gonna be escape that we long for, it's gonna be peace that we long for, and we have a decision that we can make. We can choose to distract ourselves into numbness or we can worship. We could let that longing lead us into a very sacred place, a very thin place. Because as nightmarish as your life might be right now, if you are in Christ, this is the worst it gets for you. This is it. It just gets better. This is the worst it gets for you, for God's people. Because in the fullness of time, life is going to swallow everything that is mortal. And you will sense a depth of glory where things were once broken. And the more broken things are now, the more joy you will feel down the road. We've talked about this in our Thursday morning Bible study a couple times, but I want you to consider this, the concept of how joy will find you at the second advent. The more excruciating some of your seasons have been, the more peace and joy you will experience as Jesus reverses what brought you so much pain. There is no situation where others who have had a fraction of the pain that you have had experience all the exact same amount of joy that you do. You could consider it or think of it as somebody who is excited that they could walk without a limp because they had pulled a hammy versus someone who can walk without a limp because they got both their legs back. To the same degree, to the same degree of your loss today, you will have joy tomorrow. Why? Why is this true? Because all that is banged up will be reversed. It will be. That's how you should look at your pain today. That's how you should look at your suffering today. To the depth of your suffering, to the depth of your sadness, it will be reversed when life swallows all of mortality. And this is going to happen when time is full according to God's wisdom. And this gives us something to long for, to anticipate. Because this is not home. And all the tears that you've paid, you will get paid back because your life hasn't even started yet. Life hasn't even started. You see, anticipating Jesus' return is a form of worship. As we long to shed this tint of skin and put on immortality, we are in that moment worshiping God with our trust and with our hopes. It is like we're saying, Jesus, I believe you came, and I believe you're coming again. I trust you. I trust that you're going to take this broken universe and spin it back into something that is new and beautiful and reframe it all with your glory. But Lord, my life is hard right now, and only you can fix this. And I trust you will do it according to your timing in a way that brings the most joy to me and the most glory to you. I mean, just quick exercise. We're about done. But where do you feel least fortunate right now? Where do you long for change the most? The thing that's got your stomach in knots and stealing all of your sleep. The thing that keeps you from singing about love, joy, peace, and hope. What is that? There's a better question. What are you going to do with it? You have options. Not many. You can medicate yourself into numbness, distract yourself into work or entertainment. You could worship God. You could let that longing in you carry you in a different place like a child bringing a broken toy to the father, saying, Dad, I know you can fix this. I know you can. I don't know if you will, but I know you can, and I trust you. I trust you, and I look forward to the day when nothing else breaks, when nothing breaks anymore. Listen, if you're here or if you're watching, I know we have people watching. Let's talk about something just for a moment. 
if you feel like you are far from God. Maybe you know that you're far from God, or maybe you suspect you're far from God. Maybe you know that you have nothing to do with Jesus, or you're what we call Christ-haunted, kind of pulling you towards that hard question of what am I doing? Who is God to me? Who is Christ? What is the gospel? Let me just say something that would be true that maybe we can all agree with at this point, and that's the deepest longings that you have are baked into you since the garden, your father's 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 father. You want peace and joy and love and hope and family. You want those things because God has created you to want those things, and God has created you to want those things because he is the only thing that can satisfy it, right? It's his idea. He built those burdens to be met in him. So, you know, pumpkin spice lattes, gift cards, Christmas music, those are fine. Those are fine. And this is the reason they make you feel temporary comfort in the fact that they are promising something like joy or warmth or the memories of a better day or love or rest, joy, laughter. It's giving you that idea that that is at hand. You were created to have those. But if your longings are grounded here, And in those things, you need to know that they will be swallowed up by life. Swallowed up by life. All that is mortal will be. And just like I just said, life hasn't even started yet. And if you are far from Christ, this is the best it will get for you. This is the best. But maybe today is the fullness of time for you. Maybe today. Maybe today God is breaking in with his spirit and changing your heart. it's going to feel like a a rapid heart rate, a lot of questions. It's going to feel like God is doing something, but you won't know how to explain it. It's going to feel like something serious is happening, like your your life needs to change, and you're going to submit to that change. You might not know all the answers or what's next or any of those things, but that is what it does start to look like. And if that's for you, I want you to talk to me today, right? I want you to come and talk to me or email me or text me. Because this might be the fullness of time for you, for you.